0: Join us as we sing to our great God. Years
1: are spent vanity.
0: you're doing well and had a good week this week. We'd like to welcome you if you're a guest visiting with us this morning. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family Fellowship. So we'd like to extend a welcome and invite you to take a card in the pew in front of you uh, that should be labeled communication card. And if you would, uh, just take that, fill that out, share a little information with us and drop that in the offering basket on your way out. We'd greatly appreciate that uh, if you if you would be willing to, to do that. So Today is Pentecost, is the day uh, seven weeks after Easter uh, where we see scripturally the Holy Spirit came to the disciples, filled the disciples, and then we we now get to enjoy this gift, this great gift and seal of the promise. And so Christ said in Acts 1-8, he said that but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so this is, a, this is a great morning to celebrate and to remember of this great gift we have, that God the Spirit comes to his people and seals his people for the promised inheritance that one day we will stand before God and that the grace of Christ will be before us, will be on our account it will stand before God the Father right because of Jesus. And the Spirit is the seal of that promise, that inheritance, and that adoption in the family of God. And so what a, what a wonderful gift and time to recall and celebrate. So at the end of our time this morning, uh, members, if you would hang around, uh, we're going to have a very brief business meeting uh, to look at the budget for next year. And so would invite you to hang around for a few minutes afterwards. So there will be no Sunday evening uh, gathering tonight on campus, and uh, this uh, this week the students are going to camp, and so we'll be over in uh, over across the bay. University of Mobile is where everybody will be staying. Be going out in the community doing a variety of uh, service projects and mission opportunities, and would covet your prayers if you would be praying for the students and praying for those who are going out. Uh, would would ask you there to remember them in prayer. And so I also want to let you know at the end of this month, June 26th, that we'll be having a, a retirement luncheon uh, for Pastor Joel. And so it will be after our morning worship together. So I want to also let you know of that. All right. Plenty of announcements. So as last week, we have this privilege to also this morning to gather around baptism of how God has saved. So I draw your attention up there.
2: I guess I I jumped the gun a little bit there and came out early. Uh, But anyway, uh, when Jesus was baptized, uh, he did it to fulfill all righteousness, the scripture says. And in doing so, he identified with humanity. We're of the first Adam, and Christ is the second Adam. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. And the old things have passed away, behold, all things have come, become new. And so, uh, Oliver today, Oliver Collins is coming this morning to confess publicly before you and before the world that Christ Jesus is his Savior and Lord. He's received him by faith. And uh, he is identifying with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and knowing that it pictures Dying to an old life and being raised to a new life in Christ. So, Oliver. Now, Oliver just had birthday yesterday. And uh, he's uh, he looks like he's much older. He's just 15. And he's, uh, I, f- I feel like the incredible shrinking man beside him here. <laughs> uh, but, uh a, a, a while back in his life, uh, he had come to great confidence that he had placed faith alone in Christ alone to be your Lord and Savior. Is that right? Okay. So, in obedience to the command of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and on your public confession of faith in Him, it's my joy and privilege to baptize you, my little brother, in the name of the Father and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with Christ in baptism unto death, raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. It's a great celebration, and uh, it's, uh, he, he is a quiet man with a few words, but when he speaks, uh, he speaks well of Christ in his life. Would you join me in a word of prayer? And Father, we do give you thanks for this grand privilege to see another one of your children confess you before not only his family, uh, but his church family. And not only his church family, but Lord, those who will be seeing by way of the internet. And in that way, it's an unusual thing in that he is confessing Christ before the world. I pray that you would use his life all of his days upon this earth for your glory and for your honor. And Lord, as he shares you with others, may others come to faith in Christ because Jesus is mighty to save and he saves all that come to him by faith. And so we ask your blessing now in this time together. In Jesus' name we pray.
0: Amen. Please stand with us as we continue to worship.
1: Thank you for the cross.
0: for the sacrifices that you have given. The sacrifice of the cross. The sacrifice of leaving your throne in heaven and coming down to earth. Humbling yourself to take on the form of man and yet walk in sinless manner so that you could be the perfect sacrifice for us, Lord. We thank you. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your grace and your mercy, God. And we pray that you will continue, Lord, to work in us and work through us, Lord God, that your blood would be the covering and would truly be our victory. In the name of Jesus.
2: Mr. and Mrs. Moore will not be here. Alex and Mandy, uh, Maddie. I say that all the time. Uh, they won't be here. Uh, what a wedding it was! Friday afternoon, it was beautiful, and uh, it was a very sweet time to be together. And uh, I, uh, I, you do know I have a mean streak within me, right? If you've known me very long, you've known that. I, 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 uh, I, Saturday morning, I wrote a text, and I said, I'm sorry to do this on your honeymoon, but we no longer need your service as our music director at Faith Family Fellowship. But I didn't send it. But boy, I sure, I really wanted to mess up his day, you know. <laughs> I'm terrible, aren't I? Yeah, 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 I'm terrible. Anyway, I'm glad to see those two together, and it was a a sweet time of fellowship as well as uh, honoring unto the Lord. Uh, I don't know. The plan is because it's uh, uh, youth camp this week and then uh, uh, children's camp that we won't be having service uh, tonight or next Sunday night. The following Sunday night is uh father's day so we won't have sunday night service that night and then the the last sunday night uh we'll have stayed for lunch so i, I that's what they're telling me but i think they're afraid that i'm just going to try to unload everything on you at the last time here and that i'd keep you forever at night time so uh, uh this morning will be the uh The message for today. And if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn to the book of Isaiah, uh, chapter 59. And I'm going to reference the whole of the chapter, uh, but uh, we're going to look in particular at verses 14 through 21, uh, and then zero in really on verses 20 and 21. So uh, while that may sound like a lot, uh, Maya, did you cry during the wedding? You sure looked like you were crying up there. I just want to know. Where are you? The night before. Okay. It, it was, so it was sweat and not tears. So blood, sweat, and tears. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> you have a copy of God's Word. Uh, I want to begin reading in verse 14 and read down through the end of the chapter. Uh, and, and let me... Maybe I should say this in prelude to that. Chapter 58 has to do with the ideal Christian response. And of which the first half of Isaiah 59 is, we don't make it. So that's kind of where we pick up in verse 14. So he says, as he's talking about how mankind has failed, he says, justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public squares, and uprightness cannot enter. Kind of a commentary on the justice system of our day. Truth is lacking, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. But the Lord saw it. And it displeased him that there was no justice. And he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then, boy this is a big word, this interjection here is huge, then his own arm brought himself salvation. God's own arm did what man could not do. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. And according to their deeds, so will he repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, and to the coastlands he will render payment. So they shall fear the name of the Lord from west and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream. Which the wind of the Lord drives. And the redeemer will come to Zion. To those in Jacob who turn from transgression. Declares the Lord. And as for me this is my covenant with them says the Lord. My spirit that is upon you. And my words that I have put in your mouth shall not depart out of your mouth or out of the mouth of your offspring or out of the mouth of your children's offspring, says the Lord, from this time forth and forevermore. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word. And Father, we come before your holy word this morning to... Have a revelation of who we are and a, rem- a revelation of who the Lord Jesus is. And Lord, a revelation of the salvation that you have purchased for us. And to see the covenant that you have called us into and to know that you fulfill all of your promises. And so Father, we thank you that we have an overcomer. We have a conqueror, Jesus Christ our Lord. And help us today to be able to, by your Holy Spirit, see how we respond in our day and in our time to the, to the events that are taking place, to the news that we see, to the goings-on that are happening around us, the things that are happening in the economy, the things that are happening at work or at school, to some of our hopes and wishes and dreams as well as our anxieties and fears. May we be able to place them under the authority of our overcomer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And know that we do have the victory in Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to give you an introduction to the the message by going back and looking at the life of Job just very briefly. Because when you look at the life of Job, you see a man who does everything right. I mean, he's doing all the right things. I mean, put it in our day, he comes to church, he tithes, uh, he sees that his kids are at church, his grandchildren are at church, uh, he treats his fellow man rightly, he gives to the poor. Job is doing all the right things, and yet, look what happens in the life of Job. You know, it's great to say, I have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we're reminded in James and again in Peter that our faith must be tested in order to prove whether or not it is a genuine, a real faith. Because there's a human faith that we have. There's a faith that says, I believe in God. And yet there is a Genuine faith, a saving faith that leads us to know that we know that we know that Christ has paid the debt for our sin and that we are in Christ Jesus. Our security is not in our works or in our goodness or in our following through on everything as we should, but it is in Christ and his ability to fulfill everything that he has promised. For us now, when we look in the book of Job, if you look at chapters twenty six through thirty one you, you see job 's complaints now no, none of you are complainers, and i 'm sure if you 're a parent, you have no your children never complain about anything that happens i I, I know that, but job was a complainer uh, Job was having all of these things happen to him at first he he says it's okay it's you know uh um, you know, the the Redeemer lives, uh, everything's going to work out okay is kind of Job's perspective, and then he has some friends that come along and say, Job, this is your fault, and Job then begins to complain, and so it's uh, one of the most gracious statements, I, I shared this with my wife uh, this morning, I said one of the most gracious statements in scripture is found in Job thirty-one forty, where it says, The words of Job are ended. You know, I I say that I have uh, the best job on earth because I only work one day a week and then everybody complains that I work too long. Ha, ha, ha. That is, when's he going to be quiet? When's he going to finish? When is he going to get to the end? And I'm sure that was what was happening with Job's friends was when's he going to get through with this? He just keeps complaining one thing after another, after another, after another. And finally, the scripture says, he came to the end of his words. There was just nothing else left to be said. And then comes Elihu. Elihu is the friend that has a perspective of the justice of God. And so Elihu corrects him in chapters 32 through 37 and we're not going to read those but uh, this is how he begins it in verse 2 of chapter 32 it says and Elihu the son of Barachel the the Buzite of the son of Ram burned with anger and this is why he burned with anger at Job Because as he heard Job's complaining, he said, he, Job, justified himself rather than God. You see, we really don't have a reason to complain, is what he was saying. Because God is just and he's righteous. And and though we've done all the right things, you and I can be guaranteed that God is going to test our faith. It is going to be tried. And you and I need to have our faith tested time and time again to know whether or not it's genuine or it's false. Is it a is it a saving faith that perseveres, or is it a human faith that is conditioned upon everything being okay and all right? And so then thirdly, the Lord converts Job in chapters thirty eight through forty two. Uh, you'll remember he says now he spoke to Job out of the whirlwind and he said to Job now you sit down and you listen to me where were you when I poured out the foundations of the earth as if you know everything Job do, do you really are you really able to understand what all is going on around you and the answer for all of us is we have just a sliver of knowledge And yet God declares in His Word that He knows all things. He knows everything about us. He knows the the thoughts that we think before we think them, the words that we say before we say them. God knows exactly what you're going to do. He knows exactly how many cells you have in your body, how many hairs you have on your head. He is full of knowledge from one end of the universe to the other end of the universe and beyond. God is all-knowing. And so he says in, in verse, uh, chapter 40 and verse 4, Job says, Behold, after hearing God say all of this, where were you? How do you know? What did you, what did you add to anything? Job says, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. In other words, it's just time to be quiet. It's just time to be quiet. Now, we're talking about that in the context of this chapter that I hope will reveal in a fresh and a new way to you that God is your overcomer. Christ is your victor. If you're in Jesus Christ, He is your victor. But that's on the backdrop of, number one, man, uh, God's divine disposition back in verse 1. We didn't read it earlier, but... But it tells us how God is toward us. Behold, the hand of the Lord is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. Now we talk about somebody's disposition. It means they're bent. Are they bent toward being angry or accepting and loving? Is is God bent toward being a, a vengeful God even though He is just? And righteous and holy? Or is God bent toward mercy and kindness and love and forgiveness? The scripture says his hand is not short. He will save. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world. But that the world through him might be saved. So God's disposition toward us is that he... Wants to save. He seeks to save. But there's a problem. Now, we're going through this sermon real fast because this is point number two. Okay? Man's problem is his human condition. And it's verses 2 through 15. Notice what it says in verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. And your sins have hidden... face from you so that he does not hear God is good and God is good all the time and all the time God is good even in his holiness even in his wrath even in his justice and judgment God is good in that he can do no other because that's the character of of who he is but man man in our condition verse 2 says we are there's a separation in verse 3 you just have this you just have to follow through in your bible okay or do it as homework in verse 3 man is full of corruption in verse 4 it tells us we're, we're full of deception we, we lied cheat uh, verse 5 tells us that all around us is destruction and And you and I, you know, we, we've known peace for uh, some few years here, but we all of my life, the United States has been in some kind of conflict. I, there's, there's been destruction all the time, and I see what's going on in Ukraine and, and go, "That is wrong, but there has been constant destruction in the life of humanity. There, verse 6 says there is affliction. We, we bear trouble all the time and disease and sickness. Uh, verse 7 says there's desolation. Verse 8 says there's aggression. Verse 9, you, you're going to believe this one, there's depression. <laughs> okay? He just goes on, and I could read them all through, but, but just hear what he's saying about man's condition. In verses 10 through and 11, there is desperation on the part of man. And the reason why is what verses 12 and 13 says, and that is there are transgressions. And then ultimately, verses 14 and 15 says there's condemnation. Now, boy, that's a really hard pill to swallow. But it's the truth and reality of man's condition. And you and I are not going to see God until we come to acknowledge our own condition. God, his arm is not short that he cannot save. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear us in order to redeem us. But our sins have done what? They've separated us from God. But notice the victorious intervention of the Lord, number three. Verse 16 says, So It's as if, though God did not look around to see if there was somebody because um, I'll mention a couple of names here that are Baptist theologians of a day gone by. James Pettigrew Boyce, uh, Augustus H. Strong or Alva Hovey, of which you probably have not heard any of those. Uh, they they all say there there are t- two kinds of covenants. Well, three covenants actually. There's the Adamic covenant, which is a covenant of works, of which we have all failed. There's a redemptive covenant, and that is a covenant in the the Godhead where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit agree upon the plan, the way of God's salvation, and then there's the covenant of grace. There's the covenant of grace in which He invites us into. And so that's what He's talking about here. So it's not God says there's no man and there is no Savior among mankind save Jesus Christ. That's the point He's making. And we're wondering where is somebody on the scene Who's going to put an end to the the problems we're facing right now? I'm sure the president can put a solution to it. Congress certainly can vote some laws in. Uh, Maybe some of the cultural elites can change our culture and kind of move us back to Uh, centrality and know the right way Uh, you know athletics will certainly elevate us to a higher standard of living and we could just go on and on and on the things that seem to be so important in our world and look and say there's no one to save us there's no one to intercede for us but what does the scripture say then God rolled up his sleeves amen amen God rolled up his sleeves. With his own arm, he brought salvation. And with his righteousness. And it's as if he's putting, he says he's putting it on, but it's the picture of a soldier. Christ didn't put on righteousness. Christ is righteousness. But God wants you and I to see that he is the victor, the conqueror who comes in our behalf. He fights this this uh, conflict that we have, that God is holy and just and righteous and willing to save, but we are in such a deplorable condition. What are we going to do? God comes in our behalf. And notice He brings salvation. With His own arm, He brought salvation. Rescue. He... he uh, he brings back from the dead, as it were. He, he uh, uh, in his intercession for us, uh, he completes and rescues us. But verse eighteen also tells us that God not only brings salvation, but He also brings retribution. Because we're talking about justice, God in His justice, sin must be punished. And it it seems as if people get away with what they shouldn't get away with. But verse 18 says, And according to their deeds, so he will repay. God's going to right all wrongs. He's going to bring wrath to his adversaries. Repayment to his enemies. And everywhere to the coastlands, he will render repayment. God is going to... Do all the right things to the enemies of God. I had a professor in seminary. uh, He always referred to the unbelievers as God-haters. Boy, that was pretty tough. I don't know. I I can look at your face and you're going, is that right? Well, when we're not in Christ, guess what we are? We're God-haters. We say, "I don't want your son. I, I, I don't. I don't want to be in Christ. I don't want that." God has His way, and His way is righteous and just, and my way is unholy, and my pathway is crooked, and His is straight. and And I, it, it used to offend me when my professor used to say that. He'd say, "Yeah, those God haters." And I guess the older I've gotten, the more I've seen people live. I realize those outside of Christ are God-haters. And God will bring retribution. He will bring bring retribution to those that are outside of Christ. Now, are you saying you're taking away the hope that someone may come into Christ? No. But the one who dies, who lives the life and dies an unbeliever is a person who is against Christ. You know when 1 John talks about Uh, Even today, there are many antichrists. You and I, we fall back into a dispensational thinking about the end times, that there's going to be the antichrist is coming. And so we ask the question, is the antichrist living upon the earth today? And the answer is, absolutely. Because there are many antichrists. There are many people who are standing against the things of God, standing against the purity of Christ and the holiness of Christ. They will stand against the blood of Jesus Christ and the redemption uh, that Christ has brought and purchased for us. And so I think you and I need to embrace this concept that God brings retribution. There's an accounting coming. Now, wait a minute. You may say, I want justice. And you know you've been around long enough to know you really don't want justice, do you? Not for yourself. Man, I want salvation. I want redemption. I want forgiveness. I want mercy. I I want God to love me in spite of myself. I want Him to see me through the righteousness of His own Son. Because if, if I get justice, if I get what I deserve, How are, you, how are things going today? Man, anything above hell is grace. Amen? I mean, anything above hell is grace. And so, retribution is just and righteous on the part of God. But then notice number three here in verse 19. He talks about a mediation. A mediation, the one who comes to rescue us, the one who comes to intervene in our behalf. The scripture says he he mediates for us so that they shall fear the name of the Lord from west and glory from the rising of the sun for he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and go into the next verse and redeem us. Uh, God's going to stand in the gap for us. We who were enemies of God have been made to be friends with Christ. Uh, we We who were separated from God because of our sin have now through grace been made to be joint heirs with Jesus Christ. So there is a mediation on God's part and then there is a redemption and he, the Redeemer will come to Zion, and when he says that, he's referring to the people of God. He comes to us, to those in Jacob, who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. Now, there is a condition that's here in this verse. God brings redemption. It's actually the word goel in the Hebrew. It means a kinsman redeemer. It's what Boaz was to Ruth in that wonderful love story in the book of Ruth, which is a picture of Christ redeeming us, who comes to give us everything that belongs to Him. Ruth was a Moabitess. She was not a Jew. She was separated from God. She had no hope. She was without hope. And she comes to, uh, with her mother in law, back to Israel. And The question is asked, is there not a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer who can rescue her? And when she goes into the barn that evening while Boaz is watching over his grain, the scripture tells us that Boaz throws his cloak over her. It's a picture in the Old Testament of saying, everything I have belongs to you. I'm taking care of you. I am covering you. Even the word for redemption in the Old Testament or atonement is to cover. Christ covers us with his righteousness. He not only washes away our sin and forgives it, he covers us with his righteousness. And so we have this redemption in Christ, but notice here, to whom this redemption comes, it says, to those who turn from transgression. That's the word repent, the word turn there can be translated very easily and is in other cases in the Old Testament, repent. And that's what it means, to turn. It means I'm walking my way, this way, and I realize that I'm in Adam and I'm apart from Christ and I'm living life for myself and I am turning to Jesus Christ. And there is a death to the old man and a resurrection to life in Christ, but I certainly need some help. Which leads me to the final sub point of the final point, and that is regeneration, regeneration. look at verse twenty one it says, "As for me, this is my covenant with him, and remember the word covenant in the Old Testament has the idea of cutting you cut a covenant it's what David and Jonathan did out in that field that day when they made a covenant with one another. Uh, they they literally cut themselves to make a pact to themselves. Uh, your family will be my family. My family will be your family. If I die first, you take care of them. Uh, there's that beautiful picture of that loving kindness of the Lord, that grace and mercy of the Lord. And as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. And I want you to see two things in particular that are here. He says, number one, my spirit that is upon you. And number two, my words that I have put in your mouth. You and I come into a covenant relationship with God, which is God's promise and his pledge That he's going to fulfill the salvation that he promised, the restitution that he said he's going to bring, the redemption uh, that is there, the intercession that he provides for us. He's going to fulfill all of that because he's made a covenant with us, made a promise. And the way that covenant comes to us, he says, is two ways. Number one, by the living word of God. How do I know who God is? How do I know He's Savior? How do I know He's mighty to save? Because I have some warm, fuzzy, spiritual feeling down deep inside. You know, people have lots of warm, fuzzy feelings about lots of warm, fuzzy things on lots of warm, fuzzy days. I mean, that's life. You have bad days, you have good days. And so... To say that I, I, I have a very, that's a spiritual moment. How many times do I see that on uh, uh, the television or in a show or in an advertisement? You know, I, I had a, this was a spiritual moment. I, I went out into nature and I communed with nature and it was a very spiritual moment. Huh. How do you know it was spiritual? Well, it touched something down deep inside of me. Well, it may be inspirational, but not necessarily spiritual. Notice what he says here. For the word of God that I put in your mouth. Hebrews 12, uh, pardon me, 4, 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living. You see, the word of God brings life. Our problem is we're dead. We cannot know what life is apart from The Word of God being spoken to us, it brings life, it's active, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight by the Word of God, okay? But all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Give an account to what? The, this unknown God that we can't see who is spirit or the God who has given us a living, vibrant word that speaks to our soul. God in redeeming us. God in regenerating us. Making us alive again. He does it by the word of God coming to speak to you. But secondly, by the Holy Spirit. That's what he says there. Shall, My word won't depart from your mouth, and my spirit is upon you. The Holy Spirit of God is the one who works regeneration in the heart. You don't learn your way into heaven. You don't earn your way into heaven. You and I must be illuminated by the Spirit of God... To the point of regeneration, where he brings life to us again. We who were dead, he makes to be alive. Jesus, uh, it says on the last day of the feast in John chapter 7, the, the great day, he stood up and he cried out, Is anyone thirsty? Man, are you thirsty? You know, if I talked about a cold glass of iced tea long enough, if you're not thirsty, you will be very quickly, Right? Is anybody thirsty? Of course. And that's the way this question is asked. Of course you're thirsty. If you're thirsty, come to me and drink. And then he explains how we drink. We know we put repentance toward God, but notice the second thing that's in verse 38 there. Whoever believes in me. So it's repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you believe in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Well, what's he talking about? He tells you. He answers the question in verse 39. Now, this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him had not yet received, for as yet the Spirit had not been given. He came upon men in the Old Testament Jesus said in the New Testament, He's not only going to be with you, but He is now going to be in you. He's going to indwell us. That's what happened at Pentecost. It came to live inside of us, and it's through the Holy Spirit of God that life comes. You know that you've been born again of the Spirit of God because the Word of God has laid you bare to your soul, and you know your condition that you are undone, unclean, unrighteous, unholy. And then the Spirit of God begins to illuminate and reveal to you who Jesus is. You see, that's that's what brings salvation. It is looking to Christ and knowing that Christ is our victor. He's our conqueror. There is no hope anywhere else. I've got a book on my shelf at home, the title of it is Systematic Theology, and I'll give you one guess as to what it's about, Systematic Theology, and in it the author says this, a covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. I'll read it again. A covenant is an unchangeable, divinely imposed legal agreement between God and man that stipulates the conditions of their relationship. It is divinely imposed to show that man can never negotiate with God or change the terms of the covenant. We don't make deals with God. God, if you'll get me out of this trouble, I will... It doesn't work with God. The deal's... God's deal. It comes from God. The covenant, the contract is His. You and I sign it by faith. Okay? The parties of the covenant of grace are God and the people He redeems. Participation in that covenant requires faith in the work of Christ as our Redeemer. You and I will not see Christ as our Redeemer apart from the living Word of God and the life-giving Holy Spirit who regenerates us. But it is through those two avenues that God brings us to repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ whereby we enter into this covenant of grace. Participation in that covenant requires... I already read that. Faith is the beginning, and obedience in the continuing e- is the c- continuing evidence of that covenant. Let me read that again. Faith is the beginning, and obedience is the continuing evidence of that covenant. In other words, we put faith in Christ, regeneration has taken place, and we are born again, but there is a life of perseverance. Perseverance. That's how we know that we are in Christ. But that's how we know it's genuine. That's how we know our faith is real. That's why Job was tested. That's why Job had to hear. You're justifying yourself and not justifying God. You've gotten your eyes on you and you've gotten your eyes on other people, Job. And you need to get your eyes on the Lord. And when he got his eyes on the Lord, what did he do? He put his hand over his mouth. He said, I I had heard about you with the hearing of my ear. Now I see you with my eyes. You're my Savior. You're my Redeemer. You're my victor. So those who have genuine faith in Christ will see His work of grace evidenced in continued obedience to Him. I didn't write those words. Somebody else did. But I think they go true to the the whole of Scripture. When Christ does the work of salvation in you and I, it doesn't mean we're perfect. Well, we are complete in Christ Jesus. We are, in the eyes of God, because of the work of Christ's salvation for us, we are complete and whole. But we're still in this body of sin, and we still struggle... But in Christ, when we depart from the Lord, we're reminded to do what? To not say that we've not sinned. If you say you haven't sinned, you're a liar and the truth not in you. But if you have sinned, you're to confess it to him. And he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So this is what he concludes this chapter with and I want you to walk out of here being able to answer the question have you through the living word of God and the life-giving spirit come to be in this covenant with Christ through repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ whereby new life has come and you know the new life is there because you fail but he doesn't You sin, but He restores. When we we begin to get our eyes off the Lord Jesus, all of a sudden there is this working of the Holy Spirit of God that within our soul that draws us back to the Savior. It says, look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. We're like Peter when we're... Bid to come walk on the stormy waters and we get our eyes on the storm. We begin to sink into the waters. And Christ restores us. That's how you know you're in Christ. And so I'm kind of looking at, you know, this is, I got three more Sundays after today. What do I want to leave you with? I want to leave you with the idea of knowing that you're in a covenant with God. You're in a covenant relationship with Him and the promise is made by Him. And you will know you're in Christ because you continue in Him. And yes, there will be times of disobedience in the life of a believer, but God always disciplines His children and brings us back to Himself. Always. Always. So are you in Adam or are you in Christ? Have you come to trust the Lord Jesus and say, you know, there is nothing more lovely than the Lord Jesus Christ? What Christ did on the cross of Calvary? And maybe you're sitting here and saying, I don't see that, but I want to see that. And the way to see that is by getting in the living Word of God and let it bear your soul. And then ask the life-giving Spirit to breathe life into you. And to know that just like Lazarus was dead and cold in that grave. And behold he began to stink. Jesus said Lazarus come forth and bam he came alive. And that's what Christ will do for you. And so Father we come to surrender our lives to you. Fresh and anew today. Lord is our victor our crowning king, our warrior, our conqueror, who has come and fought the battle of sin, death, hell, and the grave, and has come out victorious and calls us to salvation and has given to us a living word that makes our lives bare before you and to come to acknowledge the condition of our own hearts So we see the disposition of your heart to know that you are in the business of redemption. You are the one who comes to intervene in our lives by your grace and by your mercy. So that, Lord, we don't want justice. We want what has been purchased for us through Christ on the cross of Calvary you made it so clear. It's repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, when that is true, it is a picture of what regeneration has done in our souls. And we will long to walk in obedience with our Lord and Savior. In His name we pray. Amen. <laughs>